we're going to need some context for this story. So I want to start off the podcast by playing a clip I played all the way back in week 27 of the podcast. And you've seen the stories about some of these animals. They don't want to use guns because it's too fast and it's not painful enough. So they'll take a young, beautiful girl, 16, 15, and others, and they slice them and dice them with a knife because they want them to go through excruciating pain before they die. And these are the animals that we've been protecting for so long. Well, they're not being protected any longer, folks. That's what Trump sounded like when he described immigrants seven weeks ago. He gave speeches describing them as animals, as criminals. But this week, he tweeted this. Does anybody really want to throw out good, educated, and accomplished young people who have jobs, some serving in the military? Really? That's quite a shift from cutting people open to being educated, having jobs, and serving in the military. Now, you could make the argument that Trump was talking about two separate groups of immigrants, gang members on one side, DACA recipients on the other. And of course, if you have a criminal record, you aren't eligible for DACA. But it's about emphasis. One day he's painting immigrants as criminals to ramp up hostility toward all of them. Another day he asks whether anybody wants to deport undocumented immigrants who are educated, employed, or in the military. By the way, Donald Trump, the answer, of course, is all the people you've been drumming up for two years and longer. They want to deport all undocumented immigrants, and probably quite a few who are here 100% legally as well. These people elected you president, and a lot of them are really pissed at you today. But me? Heck, if you follow through on this one, I will give you full credit. And that, more than anything else, would be not normal. Hello and welcome to the Trump Scorecard. I'm your host, Jesse Burney, and for the last couple of weeks, I've been talking on this podcast about what a cruel and devastating decision it was to rescind DACA. And I never for one moment believed Trump had any interest in putting the policy back into place through legislative or other means. But I forgot the thing Donald Trump cares about more than anything else in the entire world. It isn't kicking out immigrants. It isn't insulting women. It isn't his own children. It isn't even overdone steak with ketchup. It's attention, accolades, people saying nice things about Donald Trump. His only goal with the healthcare debate was to score a political win, not to fix the healthcare system or, or even break it. Same here. If he can notch a victory by making a deal with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer to restore DACA, why wouldn't he? He doesn't care what's in the bills. He doesn't care about policy because he doesn't care about people. That's why he was so willing to do something as cruel as rescinding DACA without a plan in place to replace it. But it's also why he's willing to sign a bill to put it back. Now, there are a lot of steps before this deal becomes a reality. Republicans are facing massive pushback, and Trump will have to get the leadership on board. That may never happen, or the bill could end up so watered down that it doesn't do anyone any good. 
and Trump won't shed a tear for the people he would kick out of the country. So it is way too early to celebrate this as a victory on DACA. And even if Congress does make DACA the law of the land, it's still short of a permanent solution that includes a path to citizenship for DACA recipients and other immigrants. But it's a start, and it will ease the minds of a lot of people. So I'm rooting for Trump to follow through on this deal. But I think it goes without saying. I don't trust him. One name that has always been at the center of the Russia-Trump investigation is Paul Manafort. No, sorry. Uh, I mean, Jared Kushner. No, wait. Carter Page. Damn it. No, I mean Michael Flynn. Look, it has a lot of centers, okay? It's like the world's best Tootsie Pop. Anyway, one thing that has always been certain over the course of this investigation has been that Michael Flynn has been up to some shady shit. The Russian government paid him $35,000 to speak at a dinner where he was seated next to Putin. He lobbied on behalf of foreign governments without registering as a foreign agent. He failed to disclose all of his contacts with Russia when updating his security clearance. He's the national security advisor equivalent of those petty criminals who play minor parts in Guy Ritchie movies. He's always up to something he shouldn't be. Which is why it's not shocking that there were new revelations this week about Flynn pushing a for-profit deal to build nuclear power plants throughout the Middle East. Not only did he travel to Israel and Egypt to push the project, which included Russian interests, but this week we learned he was paid thousands to push it and continued to do so even during the Trump transition. Let me repeat that. Michael Flynn was paid to promote an effort with Russian interests to build nuclear power plants in the Middle East and continued to promote it as he was becoming the national security advisor to the president. I can't say I'm surprised he has refused House Democrats' invitations to come testify about these issues. His lawyer said he'll only testify if he receives an official subpoena, which means Republicans would have to agree to call him. Well, I managed to get my time machine working and have brought back a clip of his testimony from that hearing where he's been forced to testify. <laughs> in the Constitution of the United States of America. I can only choose one. I can only choose one. I plead the fifth. I plead the fifth. Five. One, two, three, four, fifth. Anything you say, fifth. Go ahead, ask me a question. Did you... One more funny thing about Michael Flynn, he's not the only Michael Flynn involved in the Trump-Russia scandal. News broke this week that Michael G. Flynn, General Flynn's son and one-time chief of staff, is also a subject of the probe. They're looking into Junior's work for his father. He accompanied his dad on that trip to Russia. He worked for his lobbying firm and was deeply involved in the business. Sometimes the sins of the father are visited upon the son. I wonder if he'll get to serve as his dad's chief of staff when they start their own prison gang. All the people I mentioned in the last segment have had to hire lawyers because of the Trump-Russia probe, of course. So has President Trump, and so have several members of Trump's family. So have some of Trump's attorneys themselves. 
as have many White House staffers. And let's be honest, a probe like this can get very, very expensive if you're the target. You don't hire the lawyer who advertises on the bus bench. You go to the high-powered firms. You get the big guns with their big gun fees. And those billable hours can really add up. Not all of these staffers are the president's real estate scion son-in-law. For some of them, these fees are going to hurt. But there's good news for them. The Office of Government Ethics, you remember that office, right? It was led by Walter Schaub, who urged Trump during the transition to divest himself of his business interests, only to resign when Trump refused. Anyway, now the OGE has reversed earlier guidance, which suggested that legal defense funds set up to help White House staff pay for their lawyers should not accept anonymous gifts from lobbyists. Now, let's talk for a moment about anonymous gifts to legal defense funds in the first place, because this sounds like a terrible idea. And just a note, the Clinton administration used these in the 1990s, and they were bad then. Because anonymous means these donations aren't reported. It doesn't mean the donor doesn't hand their checks directly to the recipients and say, now we're best friends. These aren't campaign donations. These are gifts that go directly to benefit the people who are supposed to be working in our interests. So already, these legal defense funds are sketchy as hell. Allowing lobbyists with interest before the government to contribute adds another layer of corruption to the process. President Drain the Swamp is reigning over administration that is quickly becoming the most corrupt in history. Now lobbyists can pay his staffers legal bills. And we'll never know. We'll never have any idea what favors they expect and get for the money they donate. And you have to wonder if it's just the staff who will set up these funds, or if the president himself will let lobbyists pay his bills. He's already taking their money at his golf clubs like we talked about last week. Why not throw a few more bucks on the pile? The amazing thing about Hans von Spakovsky is that he doesn't just have the name of a ridiculous cartoon villain. He also has the personality and morals of a ridiculous cartoon villain. If you recognize his name, it's because he's been lurking somewhere in the corner of every single fight over voting rights in the last decade or two. And give him points for consistency. He has always, always been on the wrong side of these fights. Von Spakovsky... Fuck it, I'm calling him Hans. Hans argues voter fraud is a very serious problem facing America today, and something must be done. Needless to say, every reputable study has proven voter fraud is virtually non-existent in America, and the real problem in this country is ensuring access to the polls. So when Trump announced he believed 3 to 5 million people voted illegally in the election, which is 100% not true, it was likely the greatest moment of Hans's life. When he announced he was creating a commission to investigate this rampant voter fraud, which 100% does not exist, Hans likely pulled every string he could to get on the commission. And it worked. He's on it, along with Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach, who shares Hans's desperate need to keep black people from voting. The commission has already falsely accused people in New Hampshire of voting illegally, mostly students. And that's just the start of their shenanigans. But this week, we learned that before he got onto the commission, when he was still at the Heritage Foundation, Han sent an email to Jeff Sessions suggesting the commission should have zero Democrats. Zero. Oh, but not just Democrats. Also no, quote, mainstream Republicans, end quote. 
I'm not sure what mainstream means in this case, but I guess it means believing people should be allowed to vote. In other words, Hans wanted nobody on the commission who didn't share his own rabid hatred of voting rights. When the email first came out, the author wasn't identified, and Hans denied to a reporter that he was the one who sent it. But the Heritage Foundation identified him as the author. But really, Hans was wrong to make that request. A commission with nothing but Hans's on it would have been ridiculed. Instead, Trump appointed a few no-name Democrats, and if anyone knows anything about no-name Democrats, it's me. I've been one for years. And they gave the commission a bipartisan sheen while allowing Hans and Kobach to do all their wicked deeds. Believe me, the recommendations and accusations that will come out of this thing are going to be astoundingly terrible. Hans is going to have to grow a mustache for the occasion just so he can twirl it menacingly. If any of my listeners are planning on getting married soon, first of all, congratulations. Second of all, I will absolutely officiate your ceremony. No, I am not kidding. Email me immediately to discuss arrangements. This is my dream. And just to be clear, this applies to all couples. Straight, gay as heck, whatever category you lovebirds fit into. I mean, who would ever want to ruin a couple in love's wedding by refusing to help them celebrate the day just because they happen to be the same gender? You'd have to be some kind of huge asshole to want to do that, right? Now... Imagine being such a jerk, you'd go all the way to the Supreme Court to protect your right to ruin a couple's wedding day. Yeah, that's a real thing that's happening right now. Masterpiece Cake Shop is is a for-profit business, uh, like any other business in the state. Um, Its owner happens to be religious, but it is just a business. Um, And uh, a same-sex couple asked, masterpiece cake shop to bake them a cake and sell it to them. Uh, It's important to note that this couple did not ask uh, for anything to be written on this cake. Uh, They did not ask the baker to write, yay, same-sex marriage, gay people are great, we love sodomy. Uh, No kind of expression uh, was going to be written on this cake. It was literally just putting flour and eggs and sugar together, making a cake and selling it to them. And the baker said, uh, this violates my First Amendment right uh, to free speech and free exercise of religion, uh, and uh, took his case, obviously, all the way to the Supreme Court, which will hear this case next term, probably in December. That's Mark Joseph Stern. He's a writer at Slate who focuses on LGBT issues in the law. He wrote an article recently about how the Trump administration has decided to get involved in the case by submitting an amicus brief to the Supreme Court. Uh, And now the Justice Department under... Uh, Jeff Sessions has weighed in gratuitously because this does not involve the United States government in any way. Um, But the Justice Department decided to weigh in on the side of the baker, on the side of Masterpiece Cake Shop, and uh, say, we think um, that this is a free speech question. We think that uh, bakers, uh, for-profit businesses, have a free speech right, a First Amendment right, Uh, not to bake cakes for gay people, for same-sex couples, um, because baking a cake is expressive conduct protected by the First Amendment, and so the government cannot compel uh, an anti-gay baker to bake a cake for gay people. I asked Mark exactly what's wrong with bakers and other businesses saying their religious beliefs tell them they can't provide services to same-sex couples. I mean, I already know the answer, and I'm sure you do, but... 
I asked him to explain it. That's what you do in an interview. Not everyone lives in a big town with lots of bakeries and Safeways and boutique stores where they can get uh, whatever cake they want from whoever they want. There are uh, a lot of gay couples who live in smaller towns that might only have uh, one bakery, and that bakery might be sort of a, a big part of the community, um, and they might really want to get their cake from that one bakery. It's the only game in town. Um, and if they're denied service at that bakery, it, it can be a very traumatic experience. There are pretty severe uh, dignitary harms, um, as we say, from being uh, refused service, especially when the nearest bakery that will serve you could be dozens or even hundreds of miles away. And I, I think that it uh, sort of pushes the gay couple in question uh, a little uh, out of public life. It, it tells them, you are not welcome here. You're not a full member of this community, which can be very, very upsetting. And after all, that's what discrimination is. And we've agreed discrimination is an evil we should fight. We made a decision uh, a long time ago, more than uh, 50 years ago, actually, um, that when businesses open their doors to the public, they open their doors to all of the public. Um, we made that basic decision uh, with the Civil Rights Act of 1964, uh, which includes public accommodation provisions um, that bar businesses from excluding individuals on the basis of race. And uh, since then, plenty of states have built upon this basic idea that if you're a business, you have to serve uh, everyone who walks in your door. And we've, of course, seen states say that public accommodations cannot discriminate on the basis of sex, on the basis of religion, on the basis of national origin. Some states even say political affiliation. Right here in D.C., you can't refuse to serve Republicans. And some states, like Colorado, where the case is based, explicitly outlaw discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. What Colorado has done is passed a, uh, a non-discrimination law that ensures that if you are gay, um, if you are gay, if you are part of a same-sex couple, uh, you cannot be treated differently by a for-profit business. Uh, and it's important to make that distinction here. We are talking about for-profit businesses. You know, if a church wants to bake cakes and only sell them to straight people, a church has an absolute right to do that. It's a church. Uh, and if you want to form a, a private club, a private association, uh, something like the Boy Scouts but for cake baking, uh, and you want to turn away gay people, then that is also your right. Uh, you're a private association. You get to associate with whoever you want. But the courts have said for a very, very long time now, more than half a century, since this issue first cropped up, um, that it's, it's perfectly constitutional for the government to say that, look, if you're exchanging goods or services for money and you are a business, uh, even if you personally, the business owner, have religious hang-ups about a certain group, uh, whether they be black people or women or transgender people or gay people, uh, you still have to serve them. And so that is what's going on in this case. That is what lies at the heart of this case. But the Trump administration doesn't think Colorado should have the right to tell bakers they have to serve everyone. And they put their best people on it. Unlike um, previous 
briefs filed by the DOJ that weigh in on civil rights matters, this brief does not have the fingerprints of career civil rights attorneys um, at the DOJ. It was written primarily by political appointees, and that shows, as I wrote in my article about this, it's it's a highly politicized document. Uh, I think that it, it, frankly, places politics before legal principles. It's not just an argument in favor of discrimination. It's a weak argument in favor of discrimination. It is an extremely selective and inconsistent argument um, that verges on dishonesty. And I'll explain what I mean there. Uh, there is a principled libertarian argument that... Uh, in 2017, the Civil Rights Act and non-discrimination laws have done their work. They have broken the back of Jim Crow, as they were intended to do, um, and that uh, we don't need to keep adding protected classes, um, and that there are genuine associational rights that are trammeled by non-discrimination laws, um, and that at this stage, we should do away with these civil rights laws. We should let businesses associate with whoever they want, um, and we should let the market uh, sort out winners and losers, basically. The presumption being that no one will go to uh, an anti-gay or anti-black or anti-woman store, and, and so we don't need to use the force of the law um, to ensure that there's no discrimination in the marketplace. Uh, I don't personally agree with that. Having grown up in Tallahassee, Florida, I am aware that there is still a great deal of uh, discrimination. Um, but I understand this argument, and I respect it. Uh, if you want to say that businesses have a strong First Amendment associational right to serve or not serve whoever they want, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a coherent argument. But that is not the argument that the Justice Department makes um, because the Justice Department does not want to come out as a radical libertarians. Um, so instead, what the Justice Department essentially says uh, is that gay people are different. Uh, this brief focuses exclusively on gay people and same-sex couples uh, and says, you know, this isn't about non-discrimination law in general. This is exclusively about laws that protect gay people. And es essentially what the brief says is that there are still enough people in America who hate gay people, uh, who oppose same-sex marriage, who don't believe that gay people should have rights, um, that it is reasonable to exclude gay people from non-discrimination laws for constitutional purposes. Um, that there are still a lot of people in America who don't think that gay people deserve to have rights, who don't respect same-sex marriage as valid, uh, and basically the, the, who think that gay people are really icky and gross, uh, and these people deserve to have their beliefs uh, treated with respect under the law, uh, more respect than same-sex couples deserve. Seriously, it's a really, really bad argument. So the brief says, look, we aren't saying that businesses should uh, refuse to associate with black people. Black people certainly have a right to be served uh, under civil rights law. We just think that gay people are different. Uh, Same-sex couples don't deserve the same rights as all of these other protected classes. Uh, and so we're going to single out same-sex couples for disfavored treatment and say that Gay people and gay people alone uh, just don't deserve uh, to have equal access to the marketplace. 
um, and the First Amendment should override uh, gay people's right to be served by for-profit businesses. And Mark thinks it's unlikely to have much success with Anthony Kennedy, who of course will be the key swing vote in this case. The key flaw to this brief is that it's incoherent and inconsistent, and in its inconsistency, you can basically see pretty strong animus toward gay people, um, which the court itself has said is not uh, a rational basis uh, for any kind of legal principle. But that doesn't mean this case is a sure thing. Kennedy could go either way. I think his vote is definitely up for grabs. That's why this case is going to the Supreme Court, because the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is representing the Baker, thinks that they can nab Kennedy here. Um, But if you look at his uh, past decisions, It's not clear that he will uh, side with the libertarian argument here, um, because uh, it is true that in uh, 2000, Justice Kennedy provided the fifth vote um, to override New Jersey's non-discrimination law uh, and permit the Boy Scouts to exclude uh, gay members. This was a big case called Boy Scouts v. Dale. It was a five to four decision. New Jersey had said that the Boy Scouts are public accommodations um, for various reasons. And the Supreme Court said, well, be that as it may, they still have a First Amendment right not to allow gay people into their, into their troops or whatever. Um, and and this, the thing that distinguishes that case from this one, is, as I said earlier, is that the Boy Scouts are a private association. They're not for-profit. They're not exchanging goods or services for money. It's just a club of like-minded people. Uh, and, and, you know, for a very long time, the Supreme Court has recognized that private associations have a, a First Amendment right to choose who is allowed into their club. Um, it, there's another case that I think is probably more on point here, in which Justice Kennedy sided with the liberals. Uh, and it was actually a somewhat similar question of uh, gay rights versus um, free speech and freedom of association. Um, a California law school uh, declined to fund a discriminatory student group um, that basically excluded uh, gay people. The law school basically said, uh, you know, we're happy to fund student groups that are open to everyone. Um, You know, this is taxpayer money. It was a public law school. We're not going to spend taxpayer money funding exclusionary or discriminatory groups. But so long as you're open to everyone, uh, then we'll happily provide you with funding. And this this club called the Christian Legal Society um, didn't want to let gay people in and sued. And the case went all the way to the Supreme Court. And as I said, Justice Kennedy provided a fifth vote to say, you know what, it is okay for a public school to refuse to fund uh, an anti-gay club with taxpayer money. Um, That is not a First Amendment violation. That is a prudent use um, of limited resources um, and a perfectly acceptable way for the university to maintain its values of non-discrimination. And if the good guys lose, the case would have far-reaching effects. If it goes the bad way in Masterpiece Cake Shop, it will start on a path of driving a huge hole 
through all non-discrimination law. And because it's the Supreme Court of the United States, this would apply to federal and state and local non-discrimination law. Every non-discrimination law in the country would suddenly have this exception that I think would only grow. You would see more and more business people claiming a First Amendment right not to serve certain customers, claiming that there was some expressive conduct or expressive association uh, inherent in their business activities. That's what the Trump administration wants. Not just a victory for what they like to call religious liberty, not just an attack against LGBT people, but an opening that allows further attacks on civil rights and voting rights. If you're a woman, if you're a minority, if you're anyone they don't like, they're coming for you next. Finally, do you remember when Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin's wife wrote that Instagram post? Let's take a step back to the magical day of the solar eclipse. Mnuchin and his wife took a government plane so Mnuchin could inspect the nation's gold depository at Fort Knox. It was very important government business, which just totally coincidentally happened to put him in the area of totality where he and his lovely wife could observe the eclipse. It's likely no one would have picked up on this story had his wife, Louise Linton, not posted a photo on Instagram and tagged all the high-end designers she was wearing, and then in the comments made fun of a lady for not being as rich as she is. She grew up in a castle, by the way, a legitimate Scottish castle. Anyway, that drew lots of attention to Mnuchin's travel, and it turns out he requested a government plane to fly him on his honeymoon a Wall Street banker and movie producer worth hundreds of millions of dollars requested a government plane to fly him on his honeymoon with his lovely new bride, who, by the way, also wrote a book about a year-long trip to Africa that painted herself as a hero but was full of easily disprovable lies. Truly, these are America's new sweethearts. That's it for another week with an untrustworthy egomaniac as our president. Thanks to Mark Joseph Stern for talking with me about anti-gay bakers, and to you, my wonderful listeners, for joining me once again. Can you do me a favor? Go on iTunes and give the podcast a rating, and if you can, a review. It helps me find new audience members. And be sure to tell your friends to subscribe, too. Don't forget, you can find links to all the stories I've talked about on this podcast on the website, thetrumpscorecard.org. Find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash thetrumpscorecard, or yell at me on Twitter at Burney, or send me an email at thetrumpscorecard at gmail.com. I'll write back. Promise. Probably. I, I plead the fifth. The Trump Scorecard is written, hosted, edited, and produced by me, Jesse Burney. Our music is from bensound.com. I'll be back next week, and remember, this is not normal. Normal.